Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church, coming to you from beautiful Cheyenne, Wyoming, where we are burning up today, actually, heat in the 90s. So uh, for us, that's a lot. Anyway, I'd love to uh, come and be a part of the show for you every once in a while. In the next couple of weeks, I'll be covering for guys that are on vacation. So uh, we are right in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession still. Here we get to the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 14. Uh, last week, uh, the guys uh, started covering this, had some good discussion about it. Uh, but uh, we'll cover the actual text of it this week and some of the topics that come up from that. Uh, so I'll introduce my two guests today. Uh, we have a, a new guest, uh, Pastor Roberto Rojas, Jr., who's pastor at Zion New Life Lutheran Church in Winter Garden, Florida, which uh, is, is the best congregation in Florida. And, and, and if, you're, if, if you're a Lutheran going to Orlando, it's the only congregation to visit. Uh, just uh, just uh, my humble opinion, maybe not so humble. Uh, so, Pastor Rojas, welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. And then uh, coming back, because he also wanted to discuss this article, The Apology. We didn't get around to it a couple weeks ago. But Pastor Matt Moss, Senior Pastor at St. John's Lutheran Church and School in Corcoran, Minnesota. Uh, pastor Moss, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I think you buried the lead. We need to uh, congratulate Pastor Rojas on his recent nomination and second place finish in the district president race of the Florida Georgia district congratulations <laughs> pastor rojas on that uh that remarkable uh victory that you had by not being elected out of the office of warden sacrament and into a uh human office of district president yeah thank you so much I have no doubt that if you had been elected or someday when you are the district president of Florida Georgia District, you will uh, be an honorable and godly bishop, uh, not one of those like we see in the Apology uh, Article 14 today, who are uh, trampling down God's Word and putting to death those who would preach it. Yeah, that's that's actually a good teaser intro to exactly what we're going to be covering today. So we are in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. This is, again, the defense of the Augsburg Confession. So as it goes, you know, we confess the faith June 25th, 1530 in the Augsburg Confession. The Roman Catholic theologians listening on then come up with their confutation, that is their, their kind of con contest arguments against it. And then, of course, uh, Philip Melanchthon goes to work on writing the Apology, that is the defense of the Augsburg Confession, taking into the mind all these different things of, of what the Roman Catholics had either agreed with or didn't agree with, and so forth. So, all right, so let's get into the Apology. Uh, but first, you know, since it's Article 14, and uh, we want to cover this, how about, uh, Pastor Moss, why don't, you, why don't you just do a quick, brief overview of Augsburg 14? All right, Augsburg Confession Article 14 was short. Sweet one sentence. Uh, our churches teach that no one should publicly preach or administer the sacraments unless he's rightly called. Uh, that's as uh, short and sweet as it gets. And the amazing thing 
the reason why there really should be no debate or confusion about this article is that the Roman Catholic Confutation agreed with that position. Uh, Pastor Shear, you've been doing this uh, this apology study with the other hosts for quite a while. It's very rare that we see one of these uh, articles in the Augsburg Confession that the, that the Roman Catholic theologians accept or receive. Now here, they're going to give one proviso, and that's what the apology article we'll look at today will go into, is what was that one condition that they wanted, and why couldn't the Lutherans give it? But on, the, on what we actually said, what we actually confessed about who should be preaching in the Church, who should be uh, baptizing, who should be administering the sacrament, we have the same position as the Roman Catholic Church. They acknowledged it. And, uh, and so I think a lot of the confusion that has come out of this uh, Augsburg Confession, Article 14, a lot of the problems that uh, the guests last week talked about uh, come from two different problems that I'll try to keep brief. Uh, they're, they're what are called logical fallacies, uh, namely anachronism and equivocation. Anachronism would be uh, taking something out of its time and place, so either reading out of Article 14 something that didn't even exist at that time, or putting onto it something that belongs only to our day and age. Uh, if our Missouri Synod was to create a, uh, a rostered church work position called the Director of uh, Internet Social Media, we couldn't write that back into Augsburg 14. They didn't even have the Internet, let alone social media directors or anything. Uh, and then the other fallacy that I mentioned was equivocation. You know, words have uh, multiple meanings at times, and we need to be clear, not ambiguous, but clear with what words mean. And so quite often the disagreements that come out of Augsburg Confession 14 are not from the Lutherans and Roman Catholics, again. They approved this article, but inner Lutheran uh, ambiguity. So the... The terms like preach. Well, I'm a pastor. I preach on Sundays, and if you know one of my lay people is talking with his neighbor about the faith, somebody's going to say, "Oh, stop preaching at him." Well, yeah, same word, but different, different sense, different meaning. Um, in the same way, the small catechism is going to say that we are all called by the gospel, and that's true. But that means something different than when they say that no one should preach or administer the sacraments unless he be rightly called. So that word called has some slightly different senses within our Lutheran theology. And you can go through the whole host of words, minister, ministry, uh, all sorts of words, teaching even, and see how a lot of confusion comes out when people try to twist and tweak words to, to make fit what we want to do with them rather than taking them in their proper sense time and place, and uh, according to, to God's Word. Yeah, well, the, the devil is always out there trying to take the Church's vocabulary away from it and confuse it with it, so you bet, that's what's happening. Uh, just a historical note with Augsburg 14, one of the things that people talk about often is, is how short it is. Uh, well, it's short because it was actually written in in the scale of Augsburg, it was written after... Augsburg 28 and Augsburg 5, where the Office of the Ministry is laid out in much clearer terms and, and in much more uh, a substantial way. So um, so that's why Augsburg 14 doesn't go on a lot, because they've already written this. Uh, and then, of course, like you said, this really wasn't a point of disagreement. 
they understood this. The Roman Catholics were like, yeah. And, and then Lutherans were as well. So, so this is why uh, we have this. And of course, here in the apology, let's let's get into it. Um, I'm just going to read the whole article because it's short, and then we'll have a discussion of it throughout the rest of the hour. So, apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 14. In Article 14, we say that no one should administer the word and sacraments unless he is rightly called. The adversaries accept the article, but on the condition that we use canonical ordination. About this subject, we have often testified in this assembly that it is our greatest desire to keep church orders in ranks, even though they have been made by human authority. We know that church discipline in the manner laid down in the ancient canons was set up by the fathers for a good and useful purpose. But the bishops either urge our priests to reject and condemn the doctrine we have confessed, or by a new and unheard of cruelty, they put the poor innocent men to death. These causes hinder our priests from recognizing such bishops. The cruelty of the bishops is the reason why the canonical government, which we greatly desire to keep, is dissolved in some places. Let them see how they will answer to God for tearing apart the church. In this matter our consciences are not in danger. Since we know that our confession is true, godly, and Catholic, we should not approve the cruelty of those who persecute this doctrine. We know that the Church is among those who teach God's Word rightly and administer the sacraments rightly. The Church it is the Church it is not with those who try hard to wipe out God's Word by their orders and also put to death those who teach what is right and true. Toward them, even the very canons are gentler, even though they do something contrary to the canons. Furthermore, we want to declare again that we will gladly keep church and canonical government so long as the bishops stop attacking our churches. Our request will acquit us, both before God and among all nations forever, from the charge that we have undermined the authority of the bishops. People will acquit us when they read and hear that although protesting against the unrighteous cruelty of the bishops, we could not obtain justice. All right, so there's Augsburg, uh, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 14. So we have this, is it stated that it's an agreement, and there's just one condition? So, Pastor Rojas, let's get into this. They talk about human authority, and of course implied here is divine authority uh, of the Word and so forth that we've already heard several times in our confessions. Can you just do a little bit of description of this human versus divine authorities? Sure. Uh, so we have to make this distinction between um, what God commands and what he uh, lays out in Scripture and what we uh, human beings, what Christians, uh, can do uh, through their reason. Um, also, uh, this human authority extends to the, um, the secular realm as well. Uh, so we govern ourselves according to how we see uh, what's best or uh, what we think is best. And then we have to uh, keep this distinction when we're talking about order in the church and church government. Uh, we have to understand what God has said and then what, uh, what is man-made. And so we're bound to what God has said. So the things that he has uh, told us, I mean, it's not a question, um, the qualifications for a pastor. That is laid out in, in Scripture, uh, that the pastor would preach uh, the Word of God, uh, law and gospel, uh, this isn't a question, that he would practice close communion. This isn't a question. This is all in Scripture. Uh, but the man-made things, those are there, uh, and, and we're, uh, we can follow them uh, insofar as they don't um, 
uh, cause us to sin or disobey God's word. So here in this article, uh, we see that uh, the, the, the Lutherans are not trying to, uh, to cause, they're not kicking the, the, uh, the bee's nest, they're not, um, or the hornet's nest, they're not causing problems just to cause problems. They're simply, they, they want to keep uh, the, the order in the church, and it's their greatest desire to do so, but not at the expense of God's word. So uh, as, as Scripture says, it's, uh, uh, it's better to obey God uh, than, than men. Uh, and so we put our trust in him and what he has told us. So this comes down to church government. Uh, when we look at the external order of the church, uh, this is a man-made thing, and this is left free for us to, uh, to decide. Um, some, some churches, like the Roman Catholics, have uh, uh, bishops and, and cardinals and, and, and the Pope. Uh, others, uh, like the Reformed churches, uh, they, have, uh, they have ecclesiastical uh, polity, so they have um, a consistory or a synod, things like that. And so the Lutherans are free to, to choose uh, what, what they will do, but as long as it agrees with God's Word. Yeah, in fact, I mean, this is Augsburg 28 when it talks about the, the bishops, that we're, we're happy having bishops, as in, you know, even like the Roman Catholic type of bishop, but we have to realize that's by human authority, and that these men are to hold the pastoral office. That is, these men are to be preaching and teaching the gospel and, and, and administering the sacraments, that, that they are still pastors, even though they hold these, these other offices, these higher offices. Um, and of course, uh, uh, we run into a situation sometimes now where, where we have uh, supervisors of, of doctrine and pastoral practice that themselves are not practicing pastoral care because their their vocation is no longer one of a pulpit and an altar, but one of you know handling things from an office and, and having bylaws and, and different things, which are human things, sometimes very helpful for good order but certainly not the Word of God, and, and we need to always continue to make that distinction. Pastor Moss, do you have something you want to add? Yeah, I would just uh, take it one step back from the bishops that are referenced here to the Pope himself and, and why this was a rejection of the Roman doctrine, even though they're being very polite here, I think, and, and Melanchthon's not calling it out. He'll do that in the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope. But here he's saying, you know, our greatest desire was to keep the church orders in ranks, even though they've made, been made by human authority. And I could only imagine the, the Roman Catholics reading that line and saying, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Pope's authority is not human. In their understanding, it is not just the way they've decided to order the church. This is the vicar of Christ on earth. He speaks for God. He's infallible. And the ordination that bishops do execute is only under his authority. Uh, so when a Roman Catholic bishop ordains a Roman Catholic priest, it is not, uh, it is divine authority, but vetted through the Pope, actually. Uh, it comes down through his almighty and gracious hand, not from uh, the authority that we find our ordinations in, which is through the Word. Uh, so that you know, where does the Roman Catholic priest have his, have his authority? It's not just a, a system of apostolic succession. That's something that they covered last week in the background. But it's from the current living pope who is the vicar of Christ on earth and bears all of God's authority uh, out of the Vatican. Yeah, and that's, that's the Roman Catholic error that, yeah. is, uh, that, that Melanchthon is jabbing against here, kind of a rhetorical jab with this, uh, oh, yeah, by human authority, we're good with this. Um, 
a good a good point here again to make is that you know look at this Lutherans are willing to to compromise on on all kinds of human things uh, so long as it doesn't change God's word uh, where God's word speaks we stand and if God's word uh, leaves some freedom then we're willing to to work things out so here in this beautiful thing you have this you know they're they're asking that they use canonical ordination this implies also the rites uh, the the ceremonies and so forth around ordination and 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 the Lutherans are like these are good and we like to keep them and and we're happy keeping them they're human okay fine but they're for good order and they've been set up for a long time by the fathers for good and useful purpose and so the Lutherans again keep on to these things this applies throughout uh, Lutheran understanding of worship why it is when you go to church uh, you know on Sunday morning you should open up that hymnal and see those rites right there in front of you and and whoa there's the pastor doing exactly what's you know uh, saying the black, doing the red, uh, these are good things. These are Lutheran things. And so this is what we want to see happen. This is what our confessions say um, are good practices, and, and, and in fact, are, are the best practices. So we have all that happening right now. Uh, but you have these, this, this notion. Uh, Pastor Moss, what, what's the doctrine that they've confessed that's being rejected and condemned and the and the and the bishops are, are urging priests to reject and condemn what doctrine are they talking about there the gospel period yeah it's, right i mean this is what it always boils down to grace through faith it's the article of justification it's uh and it's i mean if you go back to the uh, augsburg confession article two on original sin it's that too they get our condition wrong and so they get the cure wrong and yeah i mean that's I'm, I'm sorry for being blunt. Uh, no, that's, that's good. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, well, that's that's good, though. We want to bring that out. That this is this is why the Lutherans are taking a stand, even against these canonical ordinations, because they have insisted upon uh, tearing into the gospel. And and that will, of course, make a Lutheran stand firm and, and say, nope, then I won't, and then I won't work with you. Uh, you have a different gospel. And, of course, that's St. Paul. He tells them, uh, that the, those who bring a false gospel should be anathema, and so they are. Um, Pastor Rojas, uh, what what is this going on here? They're talking about these false bishops of the Roman Catholic Church. These bishops that are that are showing such cruelty. Do you have anything to to kind of shed light on this and maybe bring it forward? What would it mean today if we had something like this? Sure, uh, I, I want to make one comment about what we were saying before about the centrality of justification. Uh, that the, the truth is, if we lose the purity of the doctrine of justification, that's salvation by grace through faith alone, then we're going to lose the biblical teaching on every single article of faith. And so if we lose this, then it's impossible to maintain pure teaching on, on any other article of faith. Uh, and so it comes down to even this, the order in the Church, uh, because they've, they've lost sight of the Gospel, um, they are, are elevating their own human authority and imposing that uh, on others as if it were a law from God himself. Now, uh, to answer the, uh, uh, the, the question here about the cruelty and the, uh, putting the poor innocent men to death, um, the, th- this is rejected. So the Lutherans reject this, uh, this uh, uh, caveat here because um, they have been... Uh, persecuted for the gospel that they preach, and and for this reason, uh, their priests, their, their pastors, uh, don't recognize the bishops of the Roman Catholic Church uh, in this time. And so, 
I guess that kind of looks like when um, uh, today, if, if there's a district president or a bishop uh, who does not uh, discipline uh, false teachers, uh, this this causes discord in the district, in the circuit. Um, when people are, are publicly uh, teaching and preaching against what God's Word says or um, are, are antinomian in their, uh, in their ministry, where they simply allow, you know, cohabiting couples to, to commune at their altar, um, and then there's no discipline for this, and there's no unity. Uh, so, and also, when the faithful pastor is uh, either rejected or demeaned or put down because he's being faithful. So, so we see this in like a circuit, uh, for example, or a district, uh, or whatever it might be, wherever you are in the world, uh, where if you have two churches side by side, and one is practicing closed communion, and the other practices uh, uh, open communion, uh, in, hidden in the word close, uh, then, then you see this distinction. And uh, members of the churches say, look, there's a difference here. And the nice guy is the one who just communes, you know, whoever, all the Methodists and people who reject uh, uh, God's Word and, or submit to the Pope, whatever it might be, he just communes them. And then this other pastor who is faithful, they call strict. And they say, look, this man is, um, is mean, he didn't commune my, my aunt, he's Presbyterian, or whatever it might be. Um, and so therefore, uh, this person has a, a, this pastor is mean to me. Um, and then when, when there's, when you look for help, right, and you ask the district president or the circuit visitor or other pastor to say, look, come help me with this, um, help me teach what is true, uh, help us, help me correct uh, the, the brother who is erring, um, and they don't help. Uh, this is as as bad as uh, this this cruelty that these these people are talking about. It's, it's sowing discord and it's making uh, those who confess the truth uh, look like they are um, of a different spirit when in fact they're confessing what Scripture says. So the the, the people of uh, in the Reformation, the Lutherans who are confessing the truth, uh, were being um, were being uh, uh, dealt with cruelly, and were even being put uh, to death. Yeah, I mean there there are, are cases of, of Roman Catholics uh, killing off uh, Lutheran missionaries and pastors and so forth, throwing them in prison, uh, all kinds of various things that had been going on uh, already in 1530 amongst the Lutheran Reformation as it was spreading across Europe. And uh, the counter, counter, or the reaction to that by the Roman Catholic Church is is harsh, and that's of course to do with the fact that the Roman Catholic Church has this uh, uh, belief that, of course, that that the bishops of that time, especially, not only had the sword of kind of ecclesiastical oversight, but they had the sword of like temporal government as well. So they would punish uh, severely, you know, for for crossing the Pope or or for various other things. Including up to death, but yeah, this this happens uh, maybe not in the death aspect in America today, uh, given the fact that we have you know a government that would prohibit that, but it does certainly uh, result in in death of reputations, and 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 so forth that happens uh, through the through the harsh words about you know yeah that that guy over there is doing that, and uh, it's just uh, it's just bad. And uh, he's strict, or he's mean, or he doesn't understand it, or he doesn't love people, and, and all the various things that can go on. Uh, something that, uh, yeah, that's what it's talking about here. And this is why Lutherans yeah, one, do do what we do. I was going to add one point here that uh, 
here in, the, in these words uh, we see in this, in this article. It says, let them see how they will answer to God for tearing apart the church. And, and what, what the Lutherans here are doing is they're entrusting this to God. Uh, they're not snapping vengeance. They're not going to get revenge and, and uh, clear their name. Uh, they're leaving it to God, and they trust Him that He His Word will endure forever, and that uh, they'll be vindicated, and that, that God will do uh, um, God will take care of them even through this persecution. So uh, it, it's it's admirable that these these Lutherans who even suffered uh, losing their lives didn't even uh, lift a, a a hand to to go against them, but rather um, trusted God even even in the worst times. Yeah, this is something that we see often in our Lutheran hymnody. Uh, here's, here's my advertisement for, for singing good old Lutheran hymns, uh, because they will prepare you for suffering and persecution like no other hymns, uh, whether it's persecution from the world or persecution from those who supposedly are the church, uh, that, that you would hold on to the faith and a strong, steadfast faith that would, you know, trust in God to, to, and then, you know, vengeance belongs to the Lord. That, that God will sort this all out, and uh, we don't need to look for other devices to take care of this. And so that's a great point that you draw out there, uh, Pastor Rojas, and uh, I think that's a, a good reminder for us. We are just about ready to head into a break, so you are listening to the uh, Concord Matters, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We're, we're halfway through this hour, and we're wrapping up our discussion of Augsburg 14 this hour, and so we will be back right after this break uh, in about three and a half minutes. The Consortium for Classical Lutheran Education invites you to attend our summer conference, July 17 through 19, focused on next steps, our heritage, and our future. Speakers include Dr. Jean Edward Veith and Dr. E. Christian Kopf, with topics for parents, pastors, teachers, and administrators. Join us in Plano, Texas, home of one of our nation's largest classical Lutheran schools. Visit ccle.org for more information, ccle.org. Proverbs 27:17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m. every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. This summer, children all across the country are enjoying or anticipating a special week of vacation Bible school. VBS has come a long way since its early days in a saloon. What? In the late 1800s, Mrs. Walker Eilat Hawes of the Epiphany Baptist Church became aware of the poor conditions for children in the slums of New York City's East Side and determined to provide the children with a six-week summer Bible school program. 
the only space she found to rent was a saloon. It was just the beginning. By 2012, when the Barna Group research team surveyed churches, they reported 68% of churches across America were conducting VBS programs for children, with memorizing the Bible a key component. Thousands of children engaging with the Bible in all its impact and influence. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor, Our Savior Lutheran Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you from Cheyenne, Wyoming. I am joined by my two guests today, Pastor Roberto Rojas, Jr. of Zion New Life Lutheran Church in Winter Garden, Florida, uh, the church to go to in Orlando, uh, and then also Pastor Matt Moss, Senior Pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church and School in Corcoran, Minnesota, uh, they're both with us. Uh, we left off before the break talking a little bit about uh, abuses of authority and power and so forth, and also then uh, uh, just how that has worked out with, with church discipline and so forth. So, Pastor Moss, would you like to add a little bit, kind of bring us back into that conversation? Right. So Pastor Rojas detailed well for us the, uh, the abuses, how cruel the, the bishops were for putting to death people, for uh, the Lutheran preachers who were preaching the pure gospel. Uh, and they prefaced that by saying... Uh, we know that church discipline in the manner laid down in the ancient canons was set up by the fathers for a good and useful purpose. So, you know, once again, the Lutheran Reformation was not about anarchy, revolution, throwing off the, the fetters of all discipline and authority. Uh, not at all. They recognized and encouraged proper Christian discipline uh, as laid out in Scripture and in the early church that, you know, a false teacher should be called to repentance, and if he persists in his false teaching, removed. Uh, whatever that teaching was, and in our day, it doesn't cease to, to have false teachers in the church. Uh, and it is the, the job of ecclesiastical supervisors, whether your church body calls them bishops or district presidents or synod president, to deal with erring pastors who uh, teach against the Word of God. And also, not just in teaching, but also in uh, moral conduct, that there are sins that a pastor should be removed from office for committing, and it's their responsibility to do that. Uh, and the Lutherans here are saying, we recognize all that. We recognize church discipline, and if the bishops were pulling us out of our churches and putting us uh, under discipline because we were committing those things, we'd agree, but they're not. They're putting us under discipline and even killing us because of the doctrine we've just confessed in these in the Augsburg Confession, the doctrine of the gospel. Yeah, that's very good. That uh, that this is all part of that. In fact, uh, it, it's actually implied. You know, the shortness of the Augsburg, uh, the Article fourteen of the Augsburg Confession, it still implies this continued fitness for ministry. Uh, in 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 the word called there actually is a perfect passive uh, word. And and it's and it's indicating, of course, it's happened in the past, but it still implies ongoing fitness to be called. And so, yeah, the, the Lutherans always acknowledge this idea that uh, discipline is is necessary and useful in in Christ's church. Um, Christ even commands it, especially in the pastoral office as well. Uh, that's why when you go to an installation ordinations, uh, you hear all those passages from Scripture read, 
and, and beautiful passages about the promises of God, but also then the responsibilities of, of what a pastor is to be doing, how do they how do they conduct themselves, and so forth. So so behind all this, then we have the Roman Catholic bishops who are torturing uh, and even killing uh, Lutheran priests or pastors for teaching the gospel. Okay, that this is they they are become a hindrance to the proper preaching of the gospel, the right administration of the sacraments. And so then it says, uh, these causes hinder our priests from recognizing such bishops in paragraph 25. But then it also says later, uh, you know, the church is, it, the church it is not with those who try hard to wipe out God's word by their orders and also put to death those who teach what is right and true. Those two are tied together. So you have this idea that the Lutherans are not recognizing these bishops because of how poorly they're conducting themselves in their man-made office. And this is a very good thing to realize. Uh, and, and it's something I think that we can look at uh, in relation to history here. Uh, our treatise, uh, the treatise of the power and the premise of the Pope talks about this, how we don't recognize these Roman Catholic bishops or their authority because of how poorly they conduct their office and how the errors uh, of their theology have just infested everything they do. And so then we talk a little bit, even bring it forward, you know, how even today then, how, how are we as Lutherans kind of to look at these supposed bishops, uh, even though, of course, they're not a part of our denomination or anything like that, but they still hold to these same errors. And so, uh, Pastor Rojas, what, what are we thinking about here? Not recognizing them. The church is not with them. What, what is this all about? Sure. This really goes back to what we talked about at the beginning uh, between human authority and divine command or divine authority. Uh, you see that this that uh, the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics are not recognizing each other, but for different reasons. So uh, at the beginning of the article, it says the adversaries accept this article, but on the condition that we use canonical, canonical ordination. Uh, and there they're saying that they don't recognize the, the Lutheran pastors um, because they're not submitting to their uh, human authority. But then the Lutherans later on say, look, uh, um, is. The cruelty of the bishops is the reason why the canonical government, which we greatly desire to keep, is dissolved in some places. Um, and then right before that, these causes hinder our priests from recognizing such bishops. So the Lutherans are not recognizing the bishops, uh, but not because they're, they're disagreeing on human uh, uh, laws and human uh, regulations, but because they're disagreeing with the Word of God. So the Roman Catholics don't recognize the Lutheran pastors because they didn't submit to their human authority, and the Lutheran pastors aren't recognizing their bishops because they're actually breaking the law of God. They're murdering, right? They are um, uh, persecuting those who preach the gospel. And uh, so, so it's, it's interesting to see that uh, they're both saying they don't recognize each other, but for different reasons. Right, and I think those reasons would still be acknowledged today. I mean... Um, Roman Catholic teaching about the ordination of Lutheran pastors. You know, we, we don't have the laying on of hands from a bishop in the Roman Catholic Church, and so therefore we do not have uh, the proper apostolic succession and so forth. And I think, Pastor Moss, you mentioned some of this before. So it's all it's all in there. And then, of course, uh, Melanchthon lays it at their feet. The bishops who are persecuting are the ones who are tearing apart the Church of God. Um, Pastor Moss, you know, this this goes back, I mean, 
you look in in in, in history you know the, people blame luther for dividing the church uh but even more so in contemporary times you see well will you people who want to stress so much about doctrine you're just dividing the church you're tearing it apart uh over and against this is the truth of what the Augsburg or what Apology confesses here is that the ones who actually have the error are the ones tearing apart the Church of God. Can you give a comment about this? Yeah, and I think it's uh, it's important to be cognizant that this phrase about tearing apart the Church needs to be kept in the surrounding context, the paragraphs around it that are talking about they are the ones who have. Uh, tried to wipe out God's Word, and the Church is not with them. It's not as if uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, based on, you know, what the Church is, as defined in Scripture and in, and in our confessions, uh, Jesus' Church is one. It will be one. You can't, you can't actually tear it apart. Uh, the Holy Spirit keeps us in it. It's His. And, uh, and yet we acknowledge that you know, as the the one hymn, the church is one foundation sings that you know heresies will try to rend asunder the church. They'll try to tear it apart. Um, they won't succeed in the end. They they might deceive and mislead, and uh, bring people into depths of despair by covering the gospel. Um, but the you know it, it is not as if we who confess the truth in the face of error are the ones. Uh, creating division, fostering it, and you know, reveling in it just because we're willing to participate in debate, that we are willing to uh, correct error and point out false teaching for the sake of those who would be deceived by it and lose the gospel, lose the comfort of their salvation and their certainty uh, of God's gracious disposition towards them. You know, how could we not stand up and, and uh, defend the truth in the face of that? But that doesn't mean that we're willingly uh, making schisms in the Church. No, that, that's the devil's work. And that's what uh, many false teachings here on Earth are accomplishing. But it's not as if uh, the Church is a... Uh, gigantic organization that can be broken up by, you know, antitrust lawsuits and divided in pieces. Uh, it's either the Church with the Word of God, taught in its truth and purity, and the sacraments administered according to Christ's command, or it's filled with lies. Uh, if it's filled with lies, then it's not Christ's Church. Yeah. I think they, they do a great job of confessing that again in paragraph 27. You know, we know that the Church is among those who teach God's Word rightly and administer the sacraments rightly. Going back to Augsburg, you know, seven. Once again, just the, the simple definition of the church, where the gospel is preached purely, sacraments administered rightly. And this is, of course, why it's so dangerous that false doctrine and error sneak into things, because uh, those things can go away. And you can have an impure gospel, and you can have sacraments that are not administered at all rightly. And, of course, here you're talking about the Roman Catholic abuses to those things, but there, of course, as as history plays out, there are countless abuses uh, that have torn into this pure gospel and right administration of the sacraments. But you're absolutely right. The church remains uh, the bride of Christ, whole and complete. And uh, yeah, and that uh, again, as as Pastor Rojas, I think, reminded us before the break, uh, the church then just sits and patiently waits 
Uh, we, well, we that's a great our comfort faith. right there in paragraph 27 for the, for the lay people throughout our church body, that we know that the church is among those who teach God's Word rightly and administer the sacraments rightly. Uh, it doesn't have a, a, uh, a minimum threshold on membership. And it doesn't have a, a particular picture. It doesn't say who has like an equal age demographic distribution or the fanciest website. Because uh, there, there are plenty of churches in our synod that are worried about that. Maybe they've been vacant and haven't had a pastor of their own for several years, but they do have faithful vacancy pastors filling in and preaching God's Word rightly and receiving the sacraments. Maybe their church is small and they haven't seen a baptism in a long time. Uh, and it's aging. Are they still the church? Are they still uh, the place where God's word and sacrament are distributed to his people? Then they are the church. The church is among those who teach God's word rightly and administer the sacraments. Uh, I don't care if your uh, church building is gigantic and you've got seven services on a Sunday and 7,000 members on the roster and six pastors on staff. It's the church. It's God's word and sacrament. I don't care if you're one small little church with just 20 people on a Sunday who, you know, sacrifice at great length to make sure they have a pastor. It's one church. Well, and in fact, I mean, it's entirely Roman Catholic to find the, the identity of the church in the structure, the organization, the size, or the age. Um, you know, like, we're the oldest church, we're the biggest church. Um, you know, that's that's an entirely Roman Catholic teaching. And in the our Lutheran, synod, that's the Lutherans be condemn to remember because every, it seems every so often, maybe not every single synod convention, but most of them, and the district convention I just attended, it was a discussion. How do we come up with our delegate system in this human institution called a synod? Uh, pastoral delegates, a lay delegate. How many should a given church have? And it, it seems like it should be a, a simple, you know, American ideal of representation based on size or location or whatever you can possibly think of for human authority. But if we, if we put that kind of human estimation ahead of this definition of the church, which is of great comfort to every individual Christian and especially every church, uh, we would be losing more than we would possibly be uh, accomplishing through such a, a restructuring. Yeah, and, and let's not forget the temptations that come to the flesh when you're starting to talk about size of the church and so forth, all the, you know, ah, we'll just compromise on this over here because people get upset about that, and we'll just do this because people really like that. Um, we'll just ignore this teaching because, you know, we don't want to upset anyone there. It, it just it opens an avenue of, of, I mean, well, this is this is what the Roman Catholic Church has to struggle with, and and... This is something that Lutherans have confessed against. So I think, uh, yeah, you're right. If we were to switch switch our polity a little bit, it would probably cause some problems theologically, that, and it would reflect a change of theology, which, of course, is what we always talk about, is that our theology informs what we do. And if we're going to change what we do, there's a chance we're changing our theology behind it. So... Um, so let's, let's move on to another phrase they use here. Um, it's a beautiful phrase. It says, since we know that our confession is true, godly, and Catholic, okay, we should not approve of the cruelty of those who persecute this doctrine. 
Pastor Rojas, our confession is true, godly, and Catholic. Pick pick one of those three, true, godly, or Catholic, and, and what what are we saying here? Sure. Uh, our confession is, is true uh, because God's Word is true. And we confess what Scripture says. So when Scripture says uh, baptism now saves you, we say amen. And when it says that uh, Christ says, this is my body and blood, then we say amen to that. And so uh, there's this idea nowadays that you can't be certain, or it's, it's arrogant and it's rude and it's, uh, uh, it's a bad thing or a bad attribute to be so certain of, your, uh, of, of what is true and, and to make these sort of assertions. Um, and, and it's kind of like this, uh, this, this uh, attempt to be humble, to say, well, okay, I don't really know. I don't really know what, um, I, this is the best I can do, and uh, this is my confession, but uh, nobody knows what's, what's right. Um, and so we'll just agree to disagree, and it's okay. We all love Jesus, we love God, and, and that's all that matters. But um, what this is doing is it's denying the clarity of Scripture, and denying the efficacy of Scripture, that uh, the, the efficacy of God's Word, that it, um, that, that the Holy Spirit is working through God's Word, uh, and, and that He calls us by the Gospel. And it's not by our reason or strength that we believe this, uh, but because of His Word that, that He makes us believe this. So, um, so we know that our confession is true because God's Word is true, and that's where our confession comes from. Uh, we say with Scripture, which is what confession means, uh, we say with Scripture uh, what it says about us concerning sin and what it says about us concerning uh, um, our, our, what it says to us concerning our Savior about Christ. And so this is an important thing, that we shouldn't be timid when we have the Word of God. Uh, we shouldn't be timid with our confession. We say this with heart, with intrepid heart. Uh, we, we say this before kings and emperors, and we won't be put to shame because uh, God's Word endures forever, and uh, we hold this to be true even in the midst of persecution and slander and gossip. Uh, God's Word remains our comfort. Yeah, the, the, the psalm that's used at the beginning of the Book of Concord, I will, I, Psalm 119, I will confess your name before kings, O Lord, and not be put to shame. Uh, always a good reminder, Pastor Moss. So, so Pastor Rojas covered, you know, that our confession is true. What about godly or Catholic? Well, uh, very briefly, godly means it's in accord with the Word of God. We have no other uh, measurement for measuring uh, godliness than what God has revealed about Himself, you know, divine revelation, uh, and Catholic meaning what the Church has always believed, confessed, and practiced. And this, this has been a major theme all the way back to the Augsburg Confession itself, that the Lutheran churches are not a new sect. They are believing, teaching, confessing, practicing exactly what the Church, Catholic, of all times and places, has done. Uh, that's why you see so many quotations of Church Fathers throughout the, the Book of Concord, that the, the, the real innovators, the real revolutionaries who are making new things up to disturb the peace, 
is actually the Roman Church with the innovations like indulgences and papal infallibility and uh, all, the, all the things that we end up rejecting from then until now uh, to this very day. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, you know, they reference this, to wipe out God's word by their orders. You know, again, to wipe out God's word by their orders implies, of course, their orders are not true, ungodly, and then certainly not Catholic. And and so this is the kind of connection point that the Roman Catholic Church has erred at this point to the point where, where Lutherans are saying, no, we're actually the church, and we can actually show this, that we have these things. And, and you're the ones, yeah, like you said, they're the ones that are innovating, coming up with new teachings and, and new practices that go along with it and, and so forth. Yeah, so this is, this is a good thing to, con to discuss. You know, is this, is this another verbal ja or rhetorical jab of, of Melanchthon using the word Catholic? Pastor Moss? Oh, yeah, I would, I would say so. I mean, it's, uh, it's a rhetorical jab, but it's also... Uh a reminder to the emperor who's reading this that what he's really supposed to be deciding here in his imperial duty is this group of Lutherans, are they confessing and practicing what's true, godly, and Catholic? Or are they uh, schismatics, heretics, and need to be uh, put to death? And he's he's made their clear confession, and by the inverse of that, it is the Pope and his own who should be uh, put under the Emperor's discipline. Uh, historically, of course, we know that they did not. Right, right. The Emperor uh, continues to practice the Roman Catholic faith. Um, yeah. Um, so we, we have here then at the, end of the, at the end of the article, in the uh, Apology here, we have again this kind of, uh, this appeal to uh, eternity, that uh, you know, our request will acquit us before God and amongst all nations forever, that they have undermined the authority of the bishops. Again, going back to the beginning of the article where they said, well, we would be happy to go along with this if the bishops, you know, as we say here, just this, this sentence before, would stop attacking our churches. So not only the pastors and the priests are being attacked, but the churches are. Uh, connection there between pastors and congregations and so forth, um, obviously uh, being made. But then you have the, the, what Pastor Rojas hinted at earlier. Then, of course, the the people will acquit us when they read and hear that 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 the Lutherans were conducting themselves in such a way, not in a this for that type of way, as far as oh well, you you drew the sword and and you know slaughtered this person, so we're going to grab a Roman Catholic priest and do the same to them. It wasn't ever that way. But instead, Lutherans appealed to the fact that no. History will judge, and, and it'll show that, you know what, you guys were the ones that, that crossed these lines and did these things in persecution of our true, godly, and Catholic teachings. And so you, you, you have that all happen. We have just a couple minutes left. Pastor Rojas, is there anything else on Augsburg 14 you want to comment on uh, or on the apology here? Sure. Uh, just one, one comment. Um, what we were talking about before is the... Uh, the church being among those who teach God's word rightly, and that it's not with those who try hard to wipe out God's word. But here we see the very mark of uh, the church, the mark of a living church, is, is the pure word of God. And the mark of a dying church is not the finances or uh, the, the, the number of people in, in the congregation or uh, the building. 
uh, the mark of a dying church is false doctrine, and uh, false doctrine that teaches us to, to hate our neighbor um, and to persecute those who, who preach the truth, and also uh, the false doctrine that teaches us to put our trust in anything else but God. And, and here we see, uh, towards the end, um, that our request will acquit us both before God and among all nations forever. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that here we are, uh, 500 years later, and uh, here we are in the United States uh, talking about this, uh, talking about uh, they're acquitted, right? We see that they did the right thing, uh, and, and um, that, that God has vindicated them, and that we have joined in their confession. Uh, so if we die or suffer or persecute, are, are persecuted in the same way, then, then so be it. Uh, great is our reward in heaven. Uh, but we join them with their confession here. Uh, that we put God's word above all things, and we'll, we'll submit to human authority uh, insofar as it's uh, good and beneficial and helpful. But if it's not, then we won't. Yeah, just kind of a, a number of Lutheran principles just there running behind that, and of course, knowing full well that if you know if, if you're persecuted for uh, Christ's name's sake, uh, you can consider yourself blessed. That this this understanding is what Jesus taught about, James taught about it, Paul talk, talks about it, Peter talks about it, John talks about it. This is a, an overwhelming teaching of the scriptures carried into the Lutheran confessions, uh, this idea. Um, Pastor Moss, we just have one minute, so if you have something real quick you want to add to the show today, feel free. Absolutely. The last sentence there, that uh, people will acquit us when they read and hear that although protesting against the unrighteous cruelty of the bishops, we could not obtain justice. Uh, seeking that first from the bishops themselves who would not hear the gospel and take up their plea. And so uh, as I began this lesson, I'll uh, admonish uh, Pastor Rojas three years from now, maybe six years from now, when you are elected the uh, district president of Florida Georgia District, uh, hear the pleas of those who cry out to you as their ecclesiastical supervisor and uh, administer that office with... uh, with true justice and uh, faith in the gospel, that uh, it might continue to flourish. But first, first figure out a way to stay in a pulpit and by an altar. That'd be <laughs> that'd be a good thing. So, exactly. I want to thank both my guests today, Pastor Rojas and Pastor Moss. Uh, you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the Messenger of the Good News, bringing you this kind of just dis- lively discussion of what our confessions say, uh, what they talk about, how it how it meant something back then, how it means something even today. This is a, a good week to start going back to church if you haven't been. Go find a Lutheran church. Go go to a place where there's the pure gospel and the right administration of the sacraments. Uh, yeah, just receive what God our, our God our Lord has done for you and what he's promised to do for you, the comfort that comes from that pure gospel. Uh, I've been your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear. Wishing you all blessings. We'll talk to you next week.